0: The program is furnished by its producer, host, and sponsors. And with that, we say it is time for Crossroads of Rockland.
1: Happy spring and welcome to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR and WRCR.com. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County. On our program today, we will learn all about the silk industry in Rockland County and we'll focus on the Dunlop family and their important role in the foundation of this industry here in Rockland County. Today's program has been made possible by a generous contribution from the Town of Ramapo, Supervisor Christopher St. Lawrence, and the Ramapo Town Board. The Historical Society is grateful for their support of this program. The Historical Society of Rockland County is a nonprofit educational institution and principal repository for original documents and artifacts relating to Rockland County. Our headquarters are a four-acre site featuring a history museum and the 1832 Jacob Blauvelt House, located at 20 Zucker Road in New City. It is uh, listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Part of our broad and challenging mission is to share the history of Rockland County with the public, and we rely on financial support from people just like you. If you are interested in becoming a member of the society or becoming a volunteer, please visit our website at rocklandhistory.org. Before we begin our program today, I'd like to remind our listeners that this is a call-in show, and we welcome your phone calls. The phone lines will be open throughout the broadcast, so please call us if you have a comment or a question. That number is 845-362-0013. That number again is 845-362-0013. My guest today is Peter Dadle, the great-grandson of John Dunlop, who is credited with bringing the silk industry to Rockland County in the late 19th century. Welcome, Peter, to Crossroads of Rockland History, and thank you for being on the program today.
0: Good morning, Claire. It's my pleasure to be with you.
1: Uh, before we begin the exploration of your family's history, can you give us a bit of your background?
0: Certainly. I'm uh, a native of Rockland uh, as well, born and raised in Spring Valley, New York, graduated Spring Valley Senior High School, uh, went on to college, Um did a lot in the music uh, business before I became interested in finance and I'm now a uh, portfolio manager with Gary Goldberg and company in Suffern, New York.
1: And considering that the Historical Society's current exhibition is about Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War, this is a timely program because, in a sense, it was the Civil War that brought the silk industry to Rockland by your great-grandfather, right?
0: Yes, that's correct, Claire.
1: Um but John Dunlop didn't start out in the Northeast, did he?
0: No, actually, uh, my great-grandfather, John Dunlop, was a Scottish immigrant. He came to uh, America in when he was 19 years old, would be about 1848, um, and his wife, Jeannie Beveridge, uh, which what's what you're referring to was an upstater she was a native of rockland she came from uh, some some old new england uh, lines and she was born in oneida county new york now when john came to uh, america uh, i think 12 years later about when he was the age 31 32 he met Jeannie and they married in 1860 and of course that was right on the brink of the civil war
1: and um... They were living in Texas, correct?
0: Yeah. What happened is, um, my great grandfather was an officer in the cavalry. At that time, he was uh, early on. He was a captain. I think that was about 1861, and he was dispatched to Texas after several several other assignments. Um, and they lived in San Antonio, right on the main plaza in San Antonio. In fact, uh, the story is that my great grandfather. After he was discharged, he had a dry goods store in the uh, Alamo because the Alamo at that time, of course, it was an historical relic, but it wasn't, uh, you know, preserved the way it, we think of it today. It was still used for commerce, and it was, it was the mall in the main uh, square of San Antonio, and that's where he had his dry goods store.
1: And John Dunlop was pro-union, so Texas, which was pro-slavery, really wasn't the ideal place for him, was it?
0: That's correct, Claire. They were obviously both Northerners, even though he was an uh, immigrant. He resided in the North, and jeannie was an upstate New Yorker. So they were both Union sympathizers. And you're right. When uh, secession became an issue in uh, late 1860, uh, it was treacherous down there. And and the letters that she wrote home from Texas, she being Jeannie, my great grandmother, uh, indicate the the amount of danger that they were increasingly in as the months went by and, and secession approached.
1: And so they, they made the decision to exit Texas, but that was far from easy for them. And can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Sure, absolutely. In fact, I'm going to read a quote from a letter that, uh, that my great-grandmother wrote home in February of 1861. And she says, Last Saturday, Claire, was the day for all the sovereign people of this enlightened state, to cast their votes in favor or against secession, it pains me very much. Remember, she was a northerner. To inform you that it is my belief that the state is now out of the union. That's February 25th, 1861. Um, very shortly after that, they realized that they uh, they would be in danger, uh, and there came a time when they actually had to flee San Antonio. My uh, great grandfather went first. He crossed the Rio Grande. Uh, and escaped into Mexico and the family followed him uh, very shortly afterwards and then they made their way north
1: and you know it's it's amazing that these letters have been preserved I mean this is really how you have found the these stories uh to be able to recount them to us so it's wonderful that you've preserved these letters
0: my well, family has always been very interested in, in history in general, and uh, as our family went through uh, very historical times and uh, participated in them, the, the next generation, it was natural for them to uh, keep the letters that, uh, that we had from that time and articles and things like that.
1: So your great-grandfather fled to Mexico, and his experiences were important enough to make it all the way to President Lincoln, right?
0: That's correct. Yeah, as I said, he made his way north, um, and he was he had some letters of introduction uh, that were written f- from the American Consul to uh, the White House, and we have, she have copies of those letters, uh, letters of introduction to President Lincoln, and uh, the the substance of the letter is that the gentleman bearing this letter has important information about the state of affairs in Texas. And I think uh, you will find him of interest. And uh, apparently, they had a long conference. They being my great grandfather and President Lincoln, uh, supposedly 45 minutes to an hour, where my great grandfather gave the president his uh, a recital of the condition of affairs in in the Lone Star State, which of course is Texas. Uh, president Lincoln favored sending an army into Texas, um, but that was not universally um agreed upon so the president told my great-grandfather hold yourself in readiness uh, i'm gonna let you be one of the commanders of a force that if we indeed we send an expeditionary force down into texas so he held himself in readiness but the call to go to texas actually never came
1: so y- this this experience that they had um was also eloquently recounted in a newspaper in Utica, New York. Isn't that right?
0: That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have that article in front of me, Claire, but um, it was significant enough back then, meaning the uh, second half of the 19th century, to, uh, to warrant attention by the local news uh, even at that time. And, of course, here 140 years later or so, it's even more interesting. Now, one uh, highlight of their stay in Texas... Claire, was the fact that they lived in a rooming house. They lived on the second floor of a rooming house where they obviously rented rooms. And the tenant on the first floor was Colonel Robert E. Lee. At that time, of course, he was a colonel in the U.S. Cavalry. Texas had not seceded yet, um, but he was their their housemate. Wow,
1: that's amazing.
0: And and, uh, and, uh, there are letters from my great-grandmother describing... Uh, General Lee is a a consummate gentleman, um, and it's really very interesting. That's
1: great. Um, So shortly after that, they made their way back east, and it was Patterson, New Jersey, where they first set up shop. Of course, Patterson at one time had the motto of an arm of iron and a glove of silk. And with the incredible hydropower from the waterfalls there, it's no surprise that it was a flourishing industrial town at the time. So this was a great place to start out, right?
0: Absolutely, Claire. Uh, As you've uh, just mentioned, uh, two of the things that were necessary in the 19th century as the Industrial Revolution took hold were water power, uh, the availability of, of running water. And I don't mean out of a faucet, I mean running water through a stream or a significant river. Uh, and the other thing was uh, was rail transportation to bring raw materials into the mills and export uh, finished goods out of the mills. And Patterson had both of those, and that's why it was uh, known in the second half of the nineteenth century as the Lyon of America, and Lyon being the silk uh, capital of France.
1: Mm-hmm. And so then John Dunlop decided to expand to Rockland. and when did this happen?
0: uh... that happened in uh... eighteen eighty seven um, they came up here they being my great-grandfather and and grandmother as well as uh... their youngest son my grandfather they didn't leave uh... their residence patterson but they came up sort of on an exploratory uh... visit and they did rent rooms uh... on in spring valley actually at the top of the hill in Muncie, overlooking spring valley and uh, I remember my grandfather recounting stories of the blizzard of 88, uh, being a, a young boy in that house. And that's when they first came to Spring Valley. And he
1: built two mills, is that correct?
0: Yeah, they built two mills. One was on Church Street, another one on Commerce Street. And one mill, uh, Claire, was devoted to throwing, as they call it, and the other to weaving. Now, throwing is a, a, a sort of a, an early stage Operation in the production of silk fabric where they twist the silk. Uh, I'm not going to get into it because I'm not an expert, but it's a preliminary step. They twist the silk onto bobbins. Um, and then weaving, of course, would be taking the silk and weaving it into fabric, uh, the final product.
1: And how many children did they have?
0: My grandfather and grandmother had uh, four children, one of whom was my mother. She was the youngest. They had two boys and two girls.
1: And so in 1890, when your great-grandfather retired, the business was taken over by whom at that time?
0: It was actually taken over by his three sons, um, John D. Dunlop, whom we used to call Uncle Don. He wasn't known as John, I guess, probably out of uh, the... so he wouldn't be confused with the founder, his father. So he was Don, and uh, his brother, George... George Malcolm Dunlop and my great grandfather Beveridge C Dunlop. I'm sorry, my grandfather mm-hmm. Beveridge C Dunlop. Those three brothers um, came to Rockland and settled to uh, to run the Rockland mills. Now they also had mills out in Pennsylvania uh, and the Southern Tier of New York, towns like Schenectady and Cooterton uh, and Galton. But uh, they didn't live out there. They they you know managed them from a distance.
1: And, and this really was a time of expansion for for your family's business. Absolutely. And, yep. and this led to some interesting and important national and international roles for your grandfather and great uncles, right?
0: That's right. Uh, they were um, set on a mission to Jap- Japan. Uh, it was called the Japanese Silk Commission, uh, and they—they, they, uh, I believe, my grandfather uh, and his brothers went to Japan, and the Japan, uh, in turn, sent a silk commission to Spring Valley, and there's an old picture of the silk commission from Japan sitting in front of the, uh, the mill in Spring Valley with my mother as a, as a, a three- or four-year-old sitting in front of the whole group.
1: Uh, You're listening to WRCR and Crossroads of Rockland History. Our topic today is the history of the silk industry in Rockland. And my guest is Peter Dadle, direct descendant of John Dunlop, who is credited as founder of this industry in Rockland County. If you have a comment or a question, please feel free to call us. Our number is 845-362-0013. Again, that number is 845-362-0013. So with all of these national, international matters at hand, um, I think it's important to note that the Dunlop Brothers remain incredibly focused on Rockland County. Can you talk a little bit about what they were doing at the turn of the 20th century here in Rockland in terms of their community service?
0: Absolutely. Um, Claire, my great uncle George settled in Nyack. Um, He was on the board of many, many uh, organizations in Nyack. his brother, uh, Uncle Don, um, also settled in Rockland, and he was involved with uh, the Chamber of Commerce of the of the state of New York. Um, he was on the the board of NIAC Bank and Trust Company. Um, so both of them, I believe, I believe Uncle Don also lived in Nyac, but. Uh, Uncle George had this great house overlooking the uh, the Hudson which I don't believe is there anymore but it was supposedly quite an um, impressive house
1: and and there's even a Blaveld connection isn't there
0: there is yes his uh, his wife was was a Blavelt Effie Blavelt and uh, so I'm not descended from the blowvels because that's uh, a uh, the line down from my uncle mm-hmm. but yeah, there is a connection there absolutely yeah that
1: the the Blavelt uh, descendants are quite a big group there's over ten thousand of them and they're very organized they have a website and a newsletter and uh, it's amazing the amount of descendants that have come from uh, that first Blavelt, at the uh, the Dutch settler of uh, New York so That's very amazing. impressive yeah 10, 000, yeah <laughs> um, and so the silk business was really booming in the first two decades of the 20th century, wasn't it?
0: It was, Claire. Um, it was a very big industry. Um, I've looked back at some... In the, in the Columbia Business Library, I looked up some records of the, the Dunlop silk uh, business, and they are actually you know, they actually have annual reports and proxy statements and things like that going way back to 1908, 1910. And that business... Um, had a capitalization of between 10 and 20 million back in 1910 so it was not a small business
1: that's amazing
0: um, it was yeah it was, it was quite uh quite impressive the problem came with two things claire number one the, d- the depression of course with the stock market crash in 1929 and then the depression of the 30s uh, affected every every business the other thing was the uh, invention of rayon and rayon uh was invented by DuPont uh, down in Delaware and it's a it's a synthetic substitute for silk mm-hmm. and rayon is what really dealt the uh, the death blow to the silk industry in America because it's much cheaper. It's, uh, you can make as much as you want. you're not dependent upon silk worms, you're not dependent upon uh, Japan or China. Um, and that DuPont invention really dealt the final blow to the silk industry.
1: What's, it, it's important to note that your grandfather, Beveridge Dunlop, the youngest of the three brothers, met this challenge uh, head-on. Uh, so tell us how he handled that.
0: That's a very good way of putting it, Claire. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't ready to retire yet. In nineteen, uh, the end of the 30s, 1940, he was, he was 60 or 61. And he was hired by the American Rayon Corporation and the American Bemberg Corporation. They were uh, sort of... Uh, sort of brother companies, and he served as their vice president from uh, the late 20s until 1946 when he finally did retire. But you're right. He, he said, well, silk isn't where it, where it is where anymore. I'm going to move into the next um, industry, and it was rayon.
1: Well, I mean, that's, you know, in business, resiliency is one of the, you know, the key things you need in order to succeed. So he clearly had that. So that's he great. A, he was a survivor. That's yeah. It, it um, so tell me about his name, Beverage Dunlop. Where did that okay. come from?
0: Interestingly enough, you know, there's there's a website, Claire, saying the the uh, most unusual names in American political history, and, and he's in there because the uh, the author doesn't understand where beverage came from. It, of course, it's not beverage as, as in soda. It's beverage as in the family name, Beverage. Uh, his mother's maiden name was Beverage. Mm-hmm. Beverage. And uh we our our network of, of cousins in this country are all descended from, from the beverages. Jeannie, Nettie, there were there were a number of sisters in that family and they also came from Scotland a little little further back. But it's a Scottish name, beverage.
1: Mhm. Um- so aside from the dispatches that made it from your great-grandfather, John Dunlop, to Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. your family has had some other presidential moments uh, with Teddy Roosevelt and Lady Bird Johnson. Can you talk briefly about these?
0: Sure. Uh, my grandfather, Bev, or Beveridge, was, uh, was friends with Theodore Roosevelt. He, um, my grandfather served in the State Assembly in 1914. Um, New York State Assembly, and uh, before that, he was yeah. in the Bull Moose Party with Theodore Roosevelt, so he was acquainted with with uh, TR, and uh, there are diaries that we have uh, that refer to uh, visits by TR, and my grandfather visiting TR in Oyster Bay. He's always referred to as TR in the diaries, mm-hmm. so that connection is there.
1: So are you... Um, did, so did Teddy Roosevelt come to Spring Valley or Muncie at any time?
0: He did come to Spring Valley. Um, I don't have the date in front of me, but that that's a, a recorded fact. Whether he actually came to the family house or not, I was never certain. But certainly my grandfather and grandmother were present uh, with him when that happened.
1: That's great. And then Lady Bird Johnson, tell us a little bit about this.
0: Lady Bird Johnson. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Claire... Jeannie and and uh, John Dunlop were in Texas before the Civil War. And it occurred to me when I was a teenager that uh, Lady Bird Johnson, being the Texan that she is, would be interested in seeing the letters that she wrote. So after my uh, my mother had transcribed all the letters, home, meaning uh, from my great-grandmother, Jeannie, we, we sent a copy to Lady Bird Johnson uh, at her ranch in Stonewall, Texas, and she wrote us uh, a thank you note in 1975, um, saying uh, that I enjoyed reading through the letters, and I'm quoting here, written from San Antonio by John and Jeannie Dunlop, back in those turbulent days before the Civil War. They paint a colorful picture and tell such a meaningful story about a man and his wife who made great personal sacrifices for what they believed in. I know you're proud of their courage. And I thank you for sharing with me this capsule of history with appreciation and best wishes, Lady Bird Johnson.
1: That's so great. Yeah. So we
0: thought that was nice. It is. It's
1: uh, very nice. Yeah, uh, so uh, do you and your family ever visit Texas?
0: No. Absolutely. Abso- I've never been there. I'm the only one in my family who hasn't been there, and uh, I look forward to doing it someday.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting.
0: Um,
1: so you really have been instrumental in documenting the history of your family, right?
0: Uh. Along with my mother and grandmother, I'd say it's sort of a uh a, 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 a family thing we you know my my grandmother and mother passed down that historical instinct to me
1: well it's really um it's really great that you have you've done that um so tell me what what uh ever came of the factories that your family's industry was housed in um what became of those
0: sure um well, there are two factories. Again, the uh, the original one on Church Street was there for many, many years. Um, they were both factories were sold to Consolidated Stamp Manufacturing, okay, yep. which w- which was a private company owned by the Schmidt's of Spring Valley, um, who were actually our neighbors. And they uh, used those factories for, for many, many years. And then the one on Church Street um, was torn down, I believe, sometime in the 80s or early 90s. It's no longer there, except for the gatehouse. There's a gatehouse and a sort of a central building that's still there on Church Street in Spring Valley. Um, the other building on Commerce Street still stands
1: that's amazing. We, you know, we have had a few uh, articles recently in South of the Mountains about sort of reminiscing about Spring Valley, and you know that that area has changed so much. Can you talk a little bit about just what you've observed as you know growing up in Spring Valley, the difference uh, that you you've observed?
0: Oh, sure, Claire. Uh, you know, when I was a boy, Spring Valley was was like a, a very quiet, um, laid back. Northern New England in- or New England type town. It was, uh, you know, we had parades and we, you could walk downtown in the middle of the night without even thinking about it. I used to go to my scout meetings and walk home at nine thirty at night when I was eleven years old. Nobody thought a thing of it. Um, the, what really changed Spring Valley and and most of the middle part of Rockland uh, was the Thruway, the Garden State Parkway, Palisades Parkway. They all meet at Spring Valley. And of course, when the Tapanzie Bridge was built, uh, my grandfather in 1958 said that, that's that's the beginning of the end. And now he didn't mean that in a bad way, but what he meant is it's not going to be the town that we know now in the 1950s, 50 years from now. and, and he was absolutely right.
1: He was, he was right. That, that really, you know, the throughway and the bridge really did change Rockland There's, County absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, Spring Valley is still a terrific town, but the characters completely different than it was 50 years ago and there are many different issues to deal with um but yeah still a wonderful place
1: absolutely yes um well i really appreciate you being here today on crossroads of rockland history with me we're so grateful to you for preserving your family history because after all it's really rockland's history i wish we could continue but we are out of time so it's been a
0: great pleasure, Claire.
1: Thanks so much for being a part of Crossroads of Rockland History. You're welcome. And thanks also to the town of Ramapo for their generous contribution for making today's episode possible. I hope you will tune in to the next Crossroads of Rockland History on Monday, May 19th, right after the Steve and Meredith Show at 10.10 a.m. Our topic will be the upcoming educational day trips and overnight excursions that the Historical Society will be hosting over the coming months. Please join us for this informative and interesting discussion. Again, that date will be May 19th at 10.10 a.m. I hope we will see many of you at our Country Supper on Sunday, May 18th on the grounds of the Jacob LaVelt Historic Site as we present the 24th Annual County Executive's Historic Preservation Merit Awards. These awards are given by the Historical Society for preservation efforts on homes, businesses, and structures, both modest and grand, to help get the word out that it's in everyone's interest to restore and retain the richness of the past. We hope you will join us at this inspiring community event. Tickets are $50 per person and help us further our mission of historic preservation in Rockland County. Please visit our website, rocklandhistory.org, to find out about all of our events and programs, including our current exhibition, Lincoln and New York, which runs through June 15th. We have interesting and educational auxiliary programming scheduled in conjunction with this exhibition. For example, well-known author Barnett Schechter will be speaking on the draft riots on May 15th at 7.15 p.m. at the Valley Cottage Library. Space is limited, so don't wait to reserve your spot for this free lecture. Again, that website is rocklandhistory.org. Our telephone number is 845 634 9629. And of course, another great way to find out about what's happening at the Historical Society is to like us on Facebook. I'm Claire Sheridan, and thank you for listening to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR and wrcr.com.